From spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers, hear the creepy side of Nipa. Welcome to the creepy side of Nipa. I am Dan Kozlowski. Here we are on our final episode of the Halloween season. I hope everyone is enjoying the season so far. As we approach Halloween, I just want everyone to remember the creepy side of Nipa will continue the rest of the year. After the Halloween season, we'll return back to our monthly episode schedule. And I know I mentioned this in the beginning of our last episode. If you have a story you would like to share on an upcoming episode of the creepy side of Nipa, I'm giving all of our listeners the opportunity to tell their own story. I would like to turn the mic around and let our listeners tell the story. If you have a story, please email us at ghost at wnep.com. Also remember, if you haven't already, please like, subscribe, or follow The Creepy Side of NEPA on whichever podcast platform that you're listening to us on. Tonight's guest on The Creepy Side is Maximum Fjork. Maximum is a paranormal author and author of Coal Region Hoodoo, Paranormal Tales from Inside the Pit. Maximum, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a nice conversation about coal region hoodoo and uh, the paranormal aspects of, of, of our region. Max, I'm glad you could finally make it onto the show. Yeah, I know. I think we met last year, uh, let's see, it was 2022 at the uh, Scranton uh, Paranormal Conference. Uh, yes, at the Cultured Center, right? Exactly, yeah. So that was great. So, uh, yeah, we, we, this, we've been planning this moment for a long time. <laughs> yes, so, we yeah, have yeah. been. So yeah. what got you into the paranormal? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it, it was a fluke. It was a crazy fluke. Um, you know, I'm a former rock journalist, and my book, Somebody Else's Dream, was I wrote that to celebrate the 50-year anniversary of the song Timothy. And as your listeners probably know, Timothy was the highest-charting song of any regional rock band. So Timothy reached number 17 in 1971. It was uh, recorded by the boys from the scranton Wilkesbury area. But a lot of people thought that the song Timothy which was about cannibalism, was actually about the Shepton Mine disaster of 1963. Now, in 63, this is a true story, three guys were entombed for two weeks, over 300 feet underneath the, uh, the ground, and only two came out. And when they rescued the, the two miners, the townspeople wanted to know what happened to the, the third miner, what happened to your mate. And there were horrible allegations that he was cannibalized. And they were uh, horrible. They were unsubstantiated. You know, they were grotesque. But right. that rumor, that mystique never went away. But the song Timothy, a lot of the people, including Jerry Ludzik from the, from the boys, felt that Rupert Holmes, the Pina Colada man who wrote Timothy, they felt that uh, that that the song Timothy was actually based on what happened in Shepton, Pennsylvania, in '63. So, as I was investigating Shepton, I discovered a, a treasure trove of paranormal occurrences. And that led me into writing a book about Shepton and then Coal Region Hoodoo. And now my uh, latest book that's coming out, uh, hopefully this month, uh, The Flying Saucer Esoteric. So I have, uh, you know, stumbled, tripped, stumbled and fall, fall, fell into the uh, paranormal. But, um, you know, I found a demographic group and I found a just a wonderful community. And uh, 
So I think I'm going to, uh, you know, stay with this genre for a while. Oh, there's definitely no shortage of stories out there. I've noticed that since I started this show. I thought maybe we'll do a few episodes around Halloween time. This was back in 2019, and we haven't stopped since. Yeah, and one other thing, too, you know, a lot of people say, like, how did you get involved in the paranormal? Why did you write all these books on the paranormal? And part of this, I think, was, I mean, this is like, uh, you know, uh, sort of like a, uh, a, I'm coming from left field here, but I think it was anger and frustration. And by that, what I mean is, like, when you go into the, these bookstores or libraries and look in the paranormal section, and very few books are written about our region, about the coal region. They're written about Lancaster and Hexon and white witches and you know all of that they're written about gettysburg and all the lives that were lost and all the 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 trapped spirits but very few or uh, very few are written about the coal region and i contend that our backyard the coal region has more stories to tell you know than lancaster and Gettysburg. So I want to do for the, the Pennsylvania coal region what Stephen King did for the state of Maine. I want to go and talk about our paranormal aspects and the stories, and I want to do it in a uh, you know a scientific and literary manner. So um, that's what I'm trying to do, and I think that's what I did with coal region hoodoo. Now, when we talk about the coal region, what region does your book really cover? Well, first of all, it's Pennsylvania-centric, so I talk about uh, the entire uh, state okay. of Pennsylvania. But I do start off in <clears throat> northeastern Pennsylvania's coal region. Uh, I talk about Shepton, of course, and I go a little bit further and deeper with the Shepton narrative. I talk a bit about Centralia, the cursed town of Centralia. I talk about uh, uh, Nick Adams, the cursed rebel who was from Berwick. Uh, Dr. Frederick Santee from Walpolapan, who was a white witch, who was noted as one of the foremost abstract thinkers of the 20th century. And I talk about a guy that nobody has ever heard about, uh, but he's infamous in the annals of ufology, and that's Richard Sharp Shaver, born in Berwick, Pennsylvania, same as me, but only he was born in 1907. So I have a chapter about Richard Sharp Shaver. Yeah, as and, I, say, uh, I never heard of that name before. Yeah, Richard Sharp Shaver was big in the 1940s. He started to write articles for Amazing Stories, and Ray Palmer, RAP, R-A-P, uh, took his stories, and he presented them as as the truth, as being accurate and truthful and realistic. Uh, Richard Sharp Shaver claimed that he was abducted and held prisoner by these evil deros. They were these evil creatures that kept him underground and tortured him. And uh, they had uh, – the, and so Ray Palmer published these stories in Amazing Stories – you know, the pulps, which were big back in the 40s, right. it became a diversion during World War II. It gave people something else to focus on other than, you know, Adolf Hitler. And uh, there were Shaver mystery uh, groups where people would get together and talk about the Shaver mystery. But they were called, the, you know, Ray Palmer put it out there as the Shaver mystery. But what happened was the FBI— in 1947, investigated Richard Sharp Shaver and Ray Palmer, and they investigated these guys because they claimed they were triggering the UFO hysteria. And remember, with 1947, we had Kenneth Arnold, who saw the nine uh, flying disks there by Mount Rainier, and he said that he described them as being flying disks, but the uh, news reporter called them flying saucers. So flying saucers became part of our uh, our uh, lexicon, you know. Just That's just what stuck, yep. 
Exactly. So that so that's what it is. But Richard Sharp Shaver from Berwick was one of was being investigated by the FBI for creating this uh, UFO hullabaloo. So that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, but, that's pretty interesting. Uh, Never heard of his yeah, name before. Yeah, Richard Sharp Shaver. Yeah, very interesting guy. And uh, you know, so um, and I did. I had the pleasure of doing a couple of presentations about Richard Sharp Shaver at the Bur- for the Berwick Historical Society, and they had a haunted uh, Jackson thing uh, right around Halloween. So I was able. We to go just and, had uh, Jennifer on the show from the Historical Society. Our last it, episode. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Jen Nardi. Yeah, yep. and, and we just done back in July. That, Yes, and she and she spoke kindly of you. So uh, yeah, very very good. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, well, well, we think you're doing a wonderful job, and I think more people need to go and talk about things like this before this legacy goes away. You know, and again, the co-region has a wonderful and a rich history of the paranormal and the supernatural. And, you know, when the uh, immigrants came over, not only from Wales and from Ireland, but also from Slovakia and from Poland, I mean, they brought with them all these stories and all the superstitions. You know, they brought their religion with them. They brought their religion and their superstition. So that stuck. So um, that's pretty interesting. You know, yeah, that's something you don't, don't want to lose. Exactly. I don't think so. And, and uh, you know, programs like yours and I think books like mine, uh, mine ensure that, you know, that at least the story is going to be around for a while, you know, sure. be for other generations. When you're doing your research to write your book, what were some of the favorite, what are some of your favorite stories that you came across? Well, when I, first of all, this is, uh, uh, 2023 is the uh, 80th anniversary of the Philadelphia Experiment. And this is, that took place in 1943. And the story, and this is interesting because during World War II, there were all kinds of uh, experiments going on, like the Manhattan Project, like Enrico Fermi, you know, with his uh, stacks of lumber and the plutonium rods. You know, he had a, a like a makeshift laboratory underneath the uh, gymnasium there at the University of Chicago, and he wanted to see if he could go and trigger a um, uh, a, a chemical a, a fusion, a, a reaction, a reaction. And that this was part of that Manhattan Project. Everybody had their little task to do. But at the same time, there was a thing called uh, the Philadelphia Experiment, which might have been a legitimate experiment that went wrong. And what happened was, according to the, the Philadelphia experiment, a ship, the USS, USS Eldridge, a destroyer escort, was teleported from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back. And people died and people were fused and the bulkheads and everything else. What I did was I heard about this guy from Derry, New Hampshire, Fred Tracy. And Fred Tracy claimed that he had a specific personal information about Admiral Forrestal, about the Philadelphia experiment, uh, and all this other interesting stuff. So I drove up to, I called him a couple times, we had a correspondence, and then I drove up to Derry, New Hampshire, and interviewed Fred Tracy. And Fred's in my book, Co-Region Who Do I Have a Chapter on the Philadelphia Experiment. Mm-hmm. Again, Pennsylvania-centric. And if you if you believe that, that uh, art imitates life, 
In the book, I start off with Night of the Living Dead, which was the movie that was made in um, Butler, Butler, Butler City in um, or Butler County in Evans City, Pennsylvania, uh, north of Pittsburgh, and also The Blob, based on a true uh, story, and also uh, the Philadelphia experiment that we believe was based on actual government um, experimentation. Uh, of course, with um, with the government, you know, there's a lot of denial. There's a lot of cover up. And a good example, if you know, uh, with the, the Philadelphia experiment, it was hard for me to get uh, information from the from the government. I did get letters from them, you know, uh, saying that this was just a, a practical joke that went wild. But in the by the same token, in 1965. We had the Kecksburg uh, incident, and that's where a UFO uh, flew over um, western Pennsylvania and landed outside of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. And again, we don't know if it was a UFO or if it was uh, our satellite or maybe a Soviet satellite. Right. <clears throat> but with the interesting thing is that all of these uh, you researchers like Stan Gordon, who tried to go through the Freedom of Information Act to get information about what happened in 1965 in, um, in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, uh, what they get is they get documents that are either lost, you know, they can't retrieve them, or documents that have been redacted. They're all blacked out. So what we're getting is something that is just totally useless, even for whatever happened in 65 in Kecksburg. The government isn't being uh, straightforward. They're not coming clean and telling us uh, what they know. So, you know, again, government denial and cover up. Uh, there's there's no other way to, to look at it. And there's been numerous people who have tried to uh, to get information about Kecksburg and they just run into to a stone wall. So uh, but, but again, that is uh, Kecksburg is the Pennsylvania Roswell. Uh, the same thing happened in uh, in Kecksburg that's happened in Roswell. Uh, the thing crashed. The military came in. Uh, they uh, surrounded the place. They chased people away. The uh, trucks came. The military trucks came in the dead of, dead of night, put things on the truck, covered them with tarps, and took off and went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And, uh, again, we never uh, saw these objects or heard about them heard about them again again because of this uh, what, what i believe was a massive uh, uh coordinated uh, cover-up very interesting i have heard about that incident a few times with uh, various guests we had on over the past few years yeah and and again i have a chapter on kecksburg and co-region hoodoo because it deserves to be there sure it's part of our part of our pennsylvania legacy but you know when you take a look at pennsylvania and the weirdness the paranormal uh it's you know it's pretty incredible i mean we have a lot of stuff for example i have two chapters on bigfoot and two chapters on ufos or uaps as uh, the pentagon likes to call them and uh, that's because pennsylvania <clears throat> allegedly uh, ranks number three in uh bigfoot sightings after Washington State and California State, which I find uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, so do I. When I first heard, I said, "Why?" You know, but a lot of these take place in the Chestnut Ridge, and that's the other coal region. You know, the soft coal that's in western Pennsylvania, and there's four counties out there: Fayette, Westmoreland, 
Uh, I'm trying to think the uh, the other two, but there's uh, Indiana, but there's four counties where, uh, called Chestnut Ridge, uh, just outside of Pittsburgh. It's south uh, west of Pittsburgh, a uh, hundred mile stretch that goes down to West Virginia, and this is where we see the most uh, uh, Bigfoot sightings. But let me continue with this. Mm-hmm. Not on, not only do we see Bigfoot, but we also see Bigfoot along with UFOs. Bigfoot and UFOs together. Now, when I first heard this, I thought, this is just ridiculous. This is just like stupid and just, I, I don't believe it. But it's been documented, you know, countless times. And I, I got to uh, mention my buddy, uh, Stan Gordon. Stan's from Westmoreland County. Yep, we had him on he, the show also just maybe three, four months ago. We had him in right around the springtime, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And Stan's the man. I mean, he's the guy that's written books about Kecksburg. He was there at the time, investigated it. He made documentaries, books. I mean, he's just like he's our go-to guy. But here's the thing. Whenever people call the state, especially in Western, 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 Western Pennsylvania, whenever they call the state police and say, look, I have a Bigfoot sighting or a UFO sighting that I want to report, they say, call Stan Gordon. And so they give him Stan's number and Stan will document this information. Uh, a good example, uh, two months ago, my neighbor, who is a common sense guy, he's uh, his feet on the ground, you know, he's not crazy. He's a professional. He's a, a lab technician. And uh, he, we went out to dinner and he told me that he saw two Bigfoot creatures uh, here in Luzerne County. And I don't want to go and give the exact location because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want a million people coming down here. But um, uh, he saw um, he saw two of them. The one, the black Bigfoot was larger, and then there was a cinnamon one that was smaller. And as he saw, the, he was in his car, and they were by the tree line. So they stopped, they turned around and looked at him. And uh, just like they were curious, not afraid or anything. And then they turned and started to walk towards the tree line. And I asked him all these questions. And he said they walked like humans. You know, uh, they weren't bare. They were Bigfoot creatures. They weren't people in in costumes. But what I did was I put uh, Stan Gordon in in touch with with my neighbor Mm -hmm. and also Tim Renner. And Tim's the other one. Uh, and if you haven't had Tim on your show, you should. Tim's the other one who's written countless books about uh, UFOs, and um, uh, Tim's a great guy. No, we uh, haven't had him I, on the show yet. Yeah, I could. I'll definitely give you his contact information. But uh, but anyway, I gave uh, Tim Renner as well my neighbor's contact information, so they could go and contact him and get his description again. But again, this came out of the blue. You know, I mean, right. this, you know. You know, I wasn't asking. We weren't talking about Bigfoot. We weren't talking about anything weird or paranormal. But my neighbor just out of the blue said, yeah, I saw two Bigfoot. So uh, my wife went went up to the area several times looking for prints, looking for any looking for Bigfoot and couldn't find anything. But we went back there on the trail line and uh, there were some trails there from uh, utility workers, but I uh, couldn't find anything else. So, But Pennsylvania, number three. So, And the one pretty- thing I found interesting, and this is going back when I first started the show, I had a Bigfoot investigator on. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But he was saying that Bigfoots are known to be seen around, and now when you just mentioned the utility uh, trails, known yeah. to be seen around power lines. Yeah, and he said he wasn't um, sure if they're attracted to them or to using them as like directional 
way of moving, but he said they're always seen or tend to be seen around power lines. Yeah, I'm, you know, uh, first of all, I lump Bigfoot and UFOs together. I think they're uh, a similar phenomenon. Uh, and the reason I say that is that we've had plenty of time to find dead bodies and you know, to find the carcasses of Bigfoot or to find the remnants of crashed UFOs. And we haven't. Right. So if there's no if there's no flesh and blood, if there's no nuts and bolts, then what where does where does that leave us? And so I think there has to be another theory, another reason. And I pretty much look at that interdimensional theory. You know, Einstein talked about you know um, the space time continuum. There, there there there's holes or bridges in the space time continuum that could allow us to go through that, uh, allow other people, you know, other plant other planets. Uh, people from other planets to go through the space-time continuum just in seconds rather than, you know, millions of light years. So I'm thinking, you know, again, this isn't my idea, but Einstein came up with that warm home theory. People like John Keel, Jacques Vallée, uh, you know, numerous, numerous people uh, talk about this interdimensional theory that just maybe uh, Bigfoot and UFOs might zigzag, might shapeshift in and out of these uh, parallel dimensions that we see them and we don't. They use a term called bilocation, where you know uh, they have people have sighted Bigfoot and they're in front of them, and then all of a sudden they're behind them. So we've heard that bilocation. And what's interesting too, again, I mean, just you know, because this, you know, it's like connect the dots. But I was listening to a uh, uh, or reading something about, I think it was about Padre Peel who seemed to have been in a trance. He was at a opera or something, and he seemed to, be, to have fallen asleep. But at the same time, they saw Padre Pio at another place, and they considered that this was an example of bilocation, where he was at two places at the same time. So, again, I don't know. but um, Right. Yeah, there's a lot out know. there. It just seems like we just don't know enough of. Well, yeah, I think that, I think that there's other... Um, you know, uh, uh, laws, scientific laws that that can prove some of the stuff. You know, I, I consider myself a scientist. You know, I'm a student of the occult, and in Coleridge and Hoodoo, I try to take aspects of the paranormal and the spiritual, and I put them closer into the scientific realm. And by spiritual, you know, I I was a little reluctant to do this, but I thought I'm going to go for it. But I have chapters on Roman Catholic mysticism. I talk about St. Teresa of Avila, a 14th century Spanish mystic who claimed that through prayer and meditation, we can reach states of ecstasy and rapture and flight of the soul. And flight of the soul is an out-of-body experience. That was experienced by the two rescued miners in Shepton. And the one guy was a devout Catholic or a devout Roman Catholic. And I believe through his uh, prayer and meditation, he was able to go and get into the state of uh, this out-of-body experience where he actually, they claimed they were up above the uh, the pit where they were trapped and they could look down and see the rescue team. I mean, thousands of people that were working there, the rescue team, the Salvation Army, the National Guard, the paparazzi, thousands of people in Shepton, Pennsylvania in 63. But uh, I included St. Teresa of Avila in my uh, in co-region hoodoo because uh, of the connection to Shepton. And also uh, Pope John the 23rd 
in Shepton, the miners claimed that they saw Pope John the Twenty Third with them in the mine for those two weeks, and they claimed that he saved their lives. The interesting thing is that Pope John the Twenty Third died in June of sixty-three. Shepton took place in August of sixty-three. So, in all three of his purported miracles, they all took place after he had died. And I remember I was at yeah, a book signing. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> And again, he was, Pope John Twenty-Third was canonized in uh, 2014. Again, you, you're canonized because you because people like you and I would look at this person and say, this is a holy man, a holy person, you know, demonstrated by good works and by kindness and by faith and piety and devotion and all that. Uh, the interesting thing, uh, in 2014, Pope Francis decided that he would have a dual canonization. So Pope John Twenty-Third, you know, uh, the guy that's in my Shepton book, he was uh, uh, canonized, but also Pope John Paul II. Now, Pope John Paul II's claim to fame was that he was a renowned exorcist. And not only that, but Pope John Paul II had a college of exorcism. He believed that evil exists, that the devil exists, that the devil wants us to believe that he or she is just a myth. But uh, Pope John Paul II had this school, this college of exorcism, where priests from over 132 countries came to learn the ancient rite of exorcism. You know, uh, again, with... Uh, and I'm going to be talking about this uh, uh, at the. I'm going to be uh, at the West Pittston Library uh, talking about the Schmerl haunting. But during that, uh, that was uh, another question I was going to bring up with you because remember you were talking about that on the phone with me, and that's one story I always hear bits and pieces of, but you never hear too much about. Yeah, well, my, the the thing of this, you know, Fred Tracy was somebody that I knew personally and uh, uh, got his narrative about the Philadelphia experiment in co-region hoodoo. The other was Ed and Lorraine Warren. And Ed and Lorraine Warren were on a 15-city book tour promoting promoting The Haunted, which was the story about the Shmuro haunting. Mm -hmm. It was written written by Robert Curran. He was from the, uh, the uh, Sunday Independent, now defunct. I used to work with that paper as well. And also uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren and Jack and uh, Janet Schmurl, uh, all five of those people contributed to this book. But anyway, they were in Jim Thorpe in 1988. I got permission to go there and interview them. So I took these wonderful pictures of them that the uh, uh, Warren Ly uh, Museum, their godson or nephew is using my pictures there. I mean, yeah, well, that's I'm pretty neat. That. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but uh, but anyway, um, I was able to go and uh, uh, you know uh, hang out with them, interview them, and stay in touch with them over the years. I would call them up and ask them questions about the Shmuro haunting, about uh, demonology, about demonic possession, about what how he fought them off. And they were very, very kind people. They were very nice uh, to me. Uh, Lorraine had a pet rooster. And when I would call him up, I could hear the rooster in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, they were very nice, very down to earth. And I'm sure your listeners know that Ed and Lorraine Warren are responsible for the Conjuring franchise, which is yep. 
Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, The last one I just saw was The Nun 2. Before that, I saw Insidious, The Red Door. I see them all. But nine motion pictures that brought in $2.1 billion dollars. And the the thing about that is that there's people like me that love to be scared, that love to go to these do these motion pictures. Uh, but again, Ed and Lorraine Warren, they were the ones that that created that uh, cr- uh, inspired the Conjuring franchise, and it's just amazing. But I mean, I look back and think I was so fortunate that I knew them. I mean, they were they're infamous. They were. Uh, Roman Catholic demonologist from from um, I think it was Monroe, Connecticut, and uh, just very nice people. And uh, so you know, there's a number of people that I personally knew that added to the narrative and added to the uh, what I what I put in uh, you know coal region hoodoo. So um, and that is know, saying I, something right there about the Smurl haunting in West Pittston that they actually came to investigate that. Yeah, they did. They were they mentored Jack and Janet Schmerl. They got them on a uh, television program in Philadelphia. But what they did was they Jack and Janet stayed behind a screen. So they talked about, you know, the horrible things that happened. For example, Jack was raped by a uh, a succubus, a, uh, a, a demon in female form. And he talked about that. Uh, but they when they were on the TV program, they spoke behind a screen. But uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren walked them through this. You know, they thought that it might be good to go public because they wanted the church to get behind this thing and bring in, uh, you know, bring in uh, their might and bring in their exorcist. Mm-hmm. And at first, the local church was reluctant, and they wouldn't do this. But then, uh, because of the Ed and Lorraine Warren, they were able to get a priest from, I believe it was New York State, who came down. And he tried, but he wasn't able to go and get the job done. So they finally got Father Alphonse Trebolt, another one from New York State. And it, he took, they, he took, it took him four times— to uh, do these uh, exorcisms, but he finally was able to cleanse the house. But, you know, by uh, demonic uh, possession and, uh, you know, uh, and, and poltergeist activity, what it was at, at their house there in West Piston, they would hear grunting sounds, they would have horrible, smell horrible odors, there would be fr- profanities etched onto the, uh, the mirrors, uh, the fog mirrors. Uh, Jack was uh, raped. By a demon, his wife Janet was was uh, you know uh, almost raped uh, several times by a demon. The interesting thing is that their German Shepherd dog was thrown, levitated, and thrown across the room. So you could either say again, we just we're just we're left with theories. But wh- how did that happen? Well, um, if it did happen, how did it happen? Well, it was either the uh, demonic possession or some people believe that maybe it was the daughter Dawn Schmerl. You know, we talk about these uh, the, the, the PSI power. You know, young adolescents, especially women, uh, have this power. That uh, And Stephen King talked about this in Carrie and Firestarter. You know, he made a career out of that. These young adolescent women who have uh, untapped innate uh, maybe uncontrollable uh, powers, and one theory is that it was actually Don Schmerl that was it, that lifted up that German Shepherd and flung the, the family dog. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. 
Yeah, I know. And Don, if you're listening, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know. Uh, anyways, uh, but that's one one theory, and uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of uh, you know, and evidently these young people, especially young women, uh, have some sort of energy that uh, you know uh, that uh, you know uh, these uh, these colleges that that look at psi power and. Uh, clairvoyance and all this, uh, you know, telepathic uh, telepathy and all this. I mean, they study this and they believe that this is an actual, you know, uh, uh, truthful variable. So um, anyway, maybe it did hit back home. But anyway, the Schmurl thing, uh, the book came out. The book was a big success. Fox TV had a made-for-TV documentary about the Schmurl haunting. And then eventually the Schmurls left West Pittston and went other places. But, you know... I believe in the rule of uh, of 90, not 100%, but 90. 30% are going to believe that it actually happened. 30% are going to say, nope, never happened. And then 30% are going to be on the fence, on the bias. They're the independent yeah, that's voters. A, that's a probably a good way of looking at it there. Yeah, I think so. And even when, I, when I'm going to be at the West Pittston Library, I'm sure that there's – I think most of the people there are going to be the true believers – they want to hear more information, but I think there's going to be a lot of doubters there. And even, you know, I remember when I was, I read everything I could about the Schmurl haunting, and some of the people were saying that, well, uh, Janet Schmurl was going to the library and reading books on the occult. Well, you know what? I think if you were traumatized, if you had PTSD, if you had been sexually assaulted, if you had, uh, if you were addicted to substances, wouldn't you go and try to a library or someplace and try to get self-help books and try to learn as much as you could about that thing, that demon that you were dealing with? So, you know, that's what she did. And it wasn't that she was so knowledgeable about the occult and demons because she wasn't. She was just caught up in the trauma and the horrible trauma you know uh i mean there i mean uh you know uh i read the book i'm actually rereading the book and uh um, but it, it goes along with what uh, Ed and lorraine warren had told me and it also goes along with what's in co-region hoodoo and i know when you're talking about the the 90 percent rule that you came up with i noticed when you're talking just about anybody just about everybody out there has some kind of story that happened to them in their past that they can't explain. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. People come up to me and again, I'm just, you know, I'm an author. I'm a paranormal author who's been relatively successful, you know, with my books, uh, certainly Shepton and Hoodoo. But uh, uh, so, but it's not that I have, you know, any kind of, uh, uh, you know, immense knowledge that, that you or somebody else doesn't have. Yet people come up to me and tell me about seeing orbs, you know, they tell uh, mysterious lights. They tell me about hearing, uh, you know, uh, dead family members speaking to them, you know, and they ask me about this. And I mean, I have nothing to say because I don't know. I mean, I can't, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I believe it's happening. It, it does happen. And I just can't explain it. Yeah, I don't know what it, what, what it means. Yep, I totally uh, agree with you. Same thing with here. When you're, people are coming on the show, they talk about their experiences, and you might even get that one person who is a non-believer, doesn't believe in any of it, but then he has that one story that happened to him back when he was 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, too, I think that there may be some of us that are 
have a sensitivity. I mean, call it what you will, like a sensitivity, maybe a power, mm-hmm. maybe a, in uh, uh, their empaths. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure, but maybe they're more in tune with things like this. You know that maybe uh, there's other dimensions there. And maybe they can pick up on these things. And just uh, Ambrose Bierce, he was like sort of like a contemporary of uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And Ambrose, they called him Bitter Bierce because he had a he had a viper tongue. But anyway, he wrote a song called "The Damn Thing," and uh, there was this creature that was just uh, running havoc over the woods and everything. And here, the creature was invisible. And in the damn thing, damn thing, Ambrose Bierce ends it by saying, "What if there's you know creatures that uh, have they make sounds that say only dogs can hear, you know, but not us, or maybe they have." Uh, uh, they're invisible. You know, they have a uh, a spectrum that maybe some animals or birds can see, but not us. You know, so an invisible creature that exists, but we can't see them or hear them. But I mean, they're there. They make their presence felt. So, you know, that's you know, there's been so much. Uh, I think a lot of the answers might be in uh in literature you know in in science fiction and you know and science fiction always regurgitated science and so i don't know but uh the damn thing was always one of my uh favorite short stories and i think it sort of explains maybe some of this you know i think there's things out there that exist but we just can't see them or hear them so i don't know yeah i think there's quite a bit out there yeah we just can't explain so with co-region hoodoo, you know, I take a look at uh, what happened in Shepton, the uh, out-of-body experiences, the near-death experiences, the uh, afterlife experiences of uh, certainly of Pope John the Twenty-Third, and uh, just a lot of the things that happened uh, in our region that is just rich with uh, which lore with lore. Uh, certainly, the Shmurl haunting is the most profound and the most. Uh, uh, notorious, you know, bigger than the Wells haunting in, in, in Wilkes-Barre. And, uh, you know, I don't, uh, but uh, so far the book, the book's been out for only five months, but we've been getting some really good reviews and I'm just, uh, just glad that there's an audience for this and that the people in the area, you know, are, are receptive to, 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 you know, to my, my work and my, my uh, research. Sure. And before we wrap things up, Max, if anyone was interested, where would they be able to yeah, pick I, up a copy? Yeah, I'd like them to check out my website. It's www.maximfurek.com, M-A-X-I-M-F-U-R-E-K. If they contact me, I'd love to get them an autographed copy of, of uh, any of my books, uh, Co-Region Hoodoo or uh, uh, Shepton, uh, the Shepton Mythology, and uh, and also the, the book uh, Somebody Else's Dream about uh, Timothy and the Boys. But um, hopefully in, another, in two weeks we'll have uh, – the flying saucer esoteric up there as well. So that'll be my sixth book. And, uh, for the listeners out there, it's called the flying saucer esoteric history's most amazing UFO events. And that's being published by beyond the fray. And they published my co-region hoodoo book. So it sounds uh, like that's just to me in time for the Halloween season. I think so too, you know, and I think that it's time for a book on flying saucers just with everything that's been happening. So yeah, I I totally agree with you. There's a lot of talk about it recently. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for the good work that you do and for keeping the uh, the, the stories alive. I think this is important. So, yeah, I believe so, so also. Yep. 
Okay. Well, continued luck to you, and uh, uh, and thank you so much for uh, for uh, uh, inviting me to be on your show. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Have okay. A good, night. good night. Yep. Okay. Bye now. Enjoy listening to The Creepy Side of NEPA? Check out The Creepy Side of America podcast, where we explore the darker side of the United States, along with stories behind some of America's most haunted locations. Find The Creepy Side of America wherever you listen to podcasts. I just want everyone to remember, starting November, we will be back to our monthly episode schedule. Until next time, enjoy the creepy side of Nipah. This has been the creepy side of Nipah. If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or central Pennsylvania, send it to ghost at WNEP.com for your chance to share it on an upcoming episode. We're dying to hear from you. Ha ha ha!